So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Supplemental number 76. The Demon Haunted Panel, recorded live at STLV 2023. Welcome into a supplemental episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion, and this intro serves as a reminder. In case you haven't heard that we are taking a hiatus while the simultaneous WGA and SAG strikes affect production across the entertainment industry. We will be back when the strikes wrap up. Don't worry. And we do thank you for your patience and your continued support during this time. In today's supplemental episode, we are sharing with you one of the topical panels from the Roddenberry Interactive Stage at the recent STLV, also known as Creation's 57-year mission convention in Las Vegas. John, what is the Demon Haunted panel? Well, I'm so glad you asked, and you'll hear about it in the show itself. But basically, it's a riff on the Carl Sagan book, The Demon Haunted World. And it's all about trying to tell the difference between science and pseudoscience and how that might affect us in the future, working toward that utopian sci-fi idealized future. But anyway, I was really privileged to have a lot of smart people on stage with me to talk about it. Now, worth noting, this is another live show recorded at the convention, and some things are beyond our control there, such as sound quality issues. Yes, and we know, we know, we know, and we do apologize in advance. We've done what we can to clean it up, but we also understand that it is suboptimal and may not play nicely in whatever your preferred listening method may be. But yes, we are fully aware of the sound issues and we are working diligently to resolve them for the next time. That said, the content of the conversation is quite good and we want you to stick around for that. Then we really want you to stick around for next week for the premiere episode of Genealogy, a brand new show that will explore the earliest works of Gene Roddenberry. Yes, Earl and I will be kicking that off with a special interview with Rod Roddenberry and setting up the premise of this all new show that will use the mission log format to help fill in the unknowns from Gene's early career and will be correcting a bit of the historical record as we go along. Yes, so today, enjoy the Demon Haunted panel, and next week, return with us to yesteryear. In the meantime, be sure to stay with us every step of the way at podcast.roddenberry.com, and the conversation continues on our Discord, exclusively for members of our Patreon community at patreon.com slash missionlog. Good morning again, everyone. For those of you who uh, sat through already too much of me, I'm back. Uh, but this time I'm going to take a little bit of a back seat 
to some assembled friends and fabulous panelists to talk about science and pseudoscience and distinguishing between the two in the hopes of getting to a better future, getting toward that, oh, I don't know, Star Trek, do I dare say? Future? What's that? Generic future. Yeah, oh, that, that's you're going to get a C&D for that. Yeah. Um, but uh, before we get into it, you know, why are we doing this and what are we here to talk about? Well, I have a confession to make. Uh, I'm a buzzkill. I'm a huge, huge buzzkill, and I apologize for that right away. That is a word that we kicked around a little bit in an email chain. Uh, That's not what you said last night, Chuck. Ah, <laughs> boom. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and the reason that I say that is that very often a fantastical story will come up, something weird, and, uh, and it'll get my attention, or somebody will send it to me, and I, I'm... The part of my brain that goes into effect is the part that says, well, that actually can't be real. Like, that, that might sound cool and interesting. That makes for a fun story. Uh, for example, as probably all of you know and many of our listeners know, um, I, uh, I'm a huge ocean liner enthusiast, right? And I spend a lot of time at the Queen Mary when that's open. And I think it's so cool. This gorgeous, beautiful, preserved gem of a bygone era. And I just love being in that environment. And inevitably, when I go there, people say, oh, it's haunted, you know. It's haunted. And I'm like, what do you mean? And how do you prove that? <laughs> because I have not gotten there in my train of thought to think that that is a thing. I, I enjoy the history, the artistry, the architecture and design of this place. And I don't apply that other level to it. And therefore... I'm a buzzkill because I don't follow that particular level of enjoyment of this place. Well, the, the burden of proof is on the person making the positive claim. I, and we're done. We're done. <laughs> that's, that's it, yeah. That, that really is what that comes down to. Uh, and it comes down to a lot of the other topics that we'll probably hit on today. Burden of proof understanding evidence, understanding differences in types of evidence. Being honest. Being honest. Uh, you know, we, we've said many times that one of the best phrases in the English language is, I don't know. Yeah. Because I don't know is what gets or us I'm to not a, sure. Or I'm not sure. Yeah. Let's find out. Yeah. There's another good one. Those all kind of occupy that same well, one, one, an, Another one that is very popular in the sci-fi and genre community is, I want to believe, which was made popular by X-Files. Oh, but sure. that, kind of, that kind of part. sums up, I think, what we're talking about now. Yeah. I want to believe sounds great. It's not, that is not valid, that is not a valid argument. That is a valid expression of desire real. that it's you not. want to believe yeah. in this, yeah. but that in and of itself does not make it real. Yeah. Well, that's part of why there are blind studies. That's why we do yeah. them blind, because we don't want our desire we, exactly. for this to color our view of that's it as right. we're doing it. Well, let's do this very quickly. I want everybody to know who you are. My, I'm, I'm overplayed. Uh, let's start down here at the end of the panel and just tell us briefly who you are. My name is James Kerwin. I am a theater and film director and sometimes writer. Writer. Um, and uh, I also have a minor degree in astrophysics because I've always been fascinated with uh, the science of uh, astronomy and cosmology and so forth. And uh, I use it to infuse, I try to use it to infuse my work as a filmmaker and storyteller. I'm Meredith Michael and I'm a high school science teacher. Um, I also, my background actually is in um, biological oceanography, but uh, I also kind of diverted a little and studied some aerospace science. I was looking at the way that we design sensors to go on spacecraft to go look for life. 
Um, but I currently um, live and work at a boarding school in greater Boston. Um, I'm also a sci-fi writer, minor league. I have a couple of little short stories on Amazon, but I'm working on a novel as well. Fab. Uh, well, actually, let me preface before I say who I am. Let me yeah. just say you can never have too much John Champion. <laughs> let me just say that. First. Oh, yeah, you can. <laughs> so I'm Mohammed Noor. I'm a professor of biology at Duke University. My specialties are in evolution and genetics. I teach in that area. I do research in that area. I have some administrative roles at the university. I mean, I'm very interested in science and science communication. I'm giving, I'm giving talks here at, the, at this convention, as, you, as some of you know. And yeah, I'm just excited to talk more about this topic. Fabulous. Um, I'm Kaylee Yacovino. Um, I am a geologist and volcano scientist at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. Um, I also work with TrekMovie.com and the ShuttlePod podcast. And I have tote bags. Yes. People want That's tote what I'm bags. About. We'll be getting tote yeah. bags. Um, yeah, and my background is uh, mainly in earth science. Um, but um, again, with my work at NASA, um, I think a lot about planets in our solar system, exoplanets, uh, how to find life, how to use geology to tell the story of the evolution of those planets. And uh, I am eminently unqualified, uh, but I am not here because, <laughs> because I, I want to, not just believe, I want to learn. And I want to hear what all of you have to say about the topics that we have picked. Now, we titled this panel The Demon Haunted Panel as a nod to Carl Sagan's great book, The Demon Haunted World in which he uh, expresses something that I think is so critical and crucial it was then, it is now, it is his baloney detection kit. And it's how to parse information to try to decide what is real, what is not, what is truthful, what is not, what is worth investigation and study, maybe what hasn't met a bar that would necessitate more. How to, how to basically focus our attention on the things that we should be focusing on. So that's why we named this panel what it is. And, um, but also, also applying that yeah. to the world. Like well, how, that's how, important important part. how important yeah. that is to achieving a Roddenberry, Roddenberry. Yes. yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so showing, a, showing us how we have achieved the things we have because of it. You know, yes. like you yeah. got on an airplane, a lot of you, to get here. I held that up by the power of my mind. Yes. That's how that works. You just yeah. have to have faith, John. Yeah. I hate to oh, be a buzzkill, John, but... Yes. <laughs> right. uh, but one of the words that will come up throughout this is evidence. And we started an interesting discussion about how to even describe evidence and what evidence is worth our attention or not, how we set that bar. And, uh, of course, there is the famous quotation, I believe Carl Sagan said it, that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And, James, you, I thought, had a, a really interesting, nuanced, kind of sideway, not necessarily around it, but a way of even parsing those words. Right. right. And I wonder if you can talk a bit about that so we can all be on the same ground yeah, about uh, what evidence is. Yeah. Uh, it, it, actually, the original phrase was said by Truzzi, who founded the scientific, uh, Committee for Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, which was extraordinary claims... It require extraordinary proof. Satan changed a uh, Satan. <laughs> oh my God! Whoa! Oh, so no. uh, <laughs> now we're done, guys. Now we are really done. Uh, Sagan changed that to extraordinary uh, claims require extraordinary evidence. Um, I, I I think it is a very well-meaning phrase. I have a little bit of a problem with it because it is intended for lay people, but th the reality is is that in science we don't necessarily just state. Before examining a claim, we don't decide 
with prejudgment, that claim is extraordinary. Therefore, it requires a different level of evidence than any other claim. Yeah. Who decides what extraordinary is? And I think what, what they meant by that, and again, it was very well meant, what they mean is, if you're making a claim that goes against the theories and models that have already been verified, then that requires a degree of, I think you said... What, extensive. Extensive evidence. Okay. Right, exactly. Maybe, maybe we should take a step back and just talk about yeah. like how scientific evidence comes to be. Absolutely. That would be a good place yeah. to start, yeah. right? So let's say, for example, you were trying to understand if a drug is safe. You know, that's, that's one that obviously we all just went through very recently. What happens is we have, the, we have you know, clinical trials or scientific studies, and essentially the, there's, there's a hypothesis ahead of time that I predict that if this drug is safe, when we give it, then we're going to have... A group of people taking a placebo, a group of people taking the other drug, and we will see no difference in illness from them. So that would mean it's safe. If we want to see if it's effective, then we say that, okay, the people who took the drug are more likely to, act to you know, have some sort of better health measure than those who didn't. So in each case, there's a specific hypothesis put out there, and it's tested. And it's tested not just like a trivial thing. Let's say you have 100 people in, uh, in each of the two groups, and one of them, you know, 99 are fine, the other one, 98 are fine. Yeah, that's... That, that's not a very big difference to say that, that, for example, this drug is effective. So you also have to employ a lot of statistical analysis to show what is the probability that the effect you're seeing is real, too. They often call these power analyses, trying to see, like, what is, what is your ability to detect a difference in effectiveness between, say, the placebo trial and the other trial. So these are the kinds of things that happen, and this will be done over the course of not just one study, but many studies. And the studies are concluded, and they don't, it's not just done, but then they're reviewed by other experts in the field just to make sure that they did it right. Do they consider all the possible alternative explanations? Oh, maybe they did them at different times. One was done in the winter, one was done in the summer. Maybe that's explaining part of this difference, too. So they try to come up with reasons to prove that you're wrong. Yes. And only if it passes all this burden of proof, like, okay, I see no indication to show that why this is wrong. That's then when it's actually a, quote-unquote, a published scientific study. and comes out in a, in a journal that has been, quote-unquote, peer-reviewed. Let me pick up on this idea of science isn't trying to prove that questions are correct. They're trying to prove that their ideas are wrong. Exactly. And a great way I love to use to describe this is that I think, I think most people can uh, identify with is let's say you're buying a used car. And you want to make sure you get the best car, right? You want to make sure there's nothing wrong with it. So you, you go in and you're like, oh, I really like this car. I hope it's really great. But you need to make sure. So what's like the first thing you might do? Test drive. Take it for a test drive, right? Make sure it drives okay, it feels okay. What else? And take mechanic. mechanic. And so what's the mechanic checking for? Make sure the, the oil works well. You might, you'll kick the tires a bit. Um, you'll make sure all the door handles work and all the lights work. Because what you want is for that to be the best car, because you really want to buy it. It's a really cool looking car. But you're going to really check to make sure that that it is the best car, and so you're going to try to prove yourself wrong. I'm going to check if the door handle works, because if it doesn't, then I've proven myself wrong. It's not the best car. And if you fail to prove yourself wrong over and over and over again, you still can't say that you're right, but you can say that you have confidence that your hypothesis that this is the best car is true. This is something, I'm really glad you brought it up, because with my students, I frequently show them, like, these are ways that you're sciencing without realizing you're sciencing. You know, you're... you're uh, the light goes out in your room or your computer, you're troubleshooting problems with your computer. What, you know, and they, they tell me everything they're doing. They're going to try this, but not this. They're going to do systematically change one variable until they figure out what's wrong. And I'm like, that's it. You're sciencing. That's, that's what we do. And a lot of the time, you know, I, I once got into an interesting debate with a, a close uh, family member who was saying that, 
you know, well, science can't tell us everything and there's, you know, there's all these other ways of knowing. I'm like, tell me about them. What are these other ways of knowing and how do they work? And then this family member basically described the scientific yeah. process to me. I'm like, <laughs> this is, you're sciencing. Right. And science isn't just people in lab coats. It's a process, it's a way of thinking. Yeah. And it's a way that, like I, I said, honesty earlier. So you have to be honest with yourself. Again, with that car analogy. You, you know that it's, it, it behooves you to be honest and really check if there's something wrong with this car because you know it's bad for you down the line. So that yeah. honesty is really important. You wouldn't do it like a five-foot test drive, just as an exactly. example. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 You would test drive it a long way. You'd go on highway, on, on dirt roads. You would really, really test drive you it. you'd right? be lying to yourself. Exactly. Otherwise. And, and I, I think part of... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I think I, another thing that's very related to this is you, you've heard us use the word hypothesis a lot, okay? So what is a hypothesis? Well... This is something that also sticks in my craw. People, a lot of people use the word theory when they mean hypothesis. A theory does not mean what most people think it means. Evolution is a theory. That means it's been verified. Like gravity. Gravity is a theory. That means it's been verified. It means it hasn't been proven wrong yet. Right, yet. And it's yet. testable. It, it, is, it is testable, it is falsifiable, the tests are replicable, and they've been peer-reviewed. That's what a theory is what a guess is not a, a theory is not a guess that's a hypothesis even a very educated guess is still a hypothesis right. you can have all these right. these bits of information this data that for, that helps to forge your your idea but it's still a hypothesis it's not a theory unless it's been tested yes. repeatedly and not found to be false yet and i think another thing that that you're touching on that makes me think about the difference between and i'm going to go there science and religion because sci people, people, I think especially people who hold um, religious beliefs that are strong get upset with the idea of science clashing with that because their impression is that scientists claim to know everything. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. Again, if our hypothesis has not been proven wrong yet. So, that's, so that is all we accept as the truth. Where um, I mean, there's a lot of differences between the way of thinking of a religion and science. And one of those is that... Um, some people who are religious hold that belief as the ultimate truth, where scientists don't. So we're not trying to fight with you know, the religious people to say, you're wrong and we're right. We're just saying, this is the evidence we see, and we are convinced one way or the other. And the same goes, I think, for sort of conspiratorial thinking, where it's like, this is my idea, and any evidence that counteracts that idea to them is just more evidence, evidence for the conspiracy for the conspiracy and it's a self-reinforcing thing where no amount of evidence can change anybody's yeah. mind of course you didn't see the documents because they are hiding right. them right well, yeah right and, and yeah and that comes up a lot i think too in 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 medicine and looking absolutely at, especially right. with these vaccines and things like that yes. oh my gosh so and much conspiracy conspiracy yeah, they're like well there's there's all these all natural remedies yeah. that yeah. medicine doesn't want you to know about yeah. and it's like or the the secret that scientists don't want to talk about. And part of me is like, have you ever met a scientist? Yeah. Like, we want we nothing more that. than to talk about everything all the time. And how do you know about it if you're not supposed right. to know about it? Right. I, would like, love I, to know that. I work at NASA. If yeah. aliens existed, we would be shouting it from the rooftops. You want to know why? <laughs> right. We would get all the funding. Right, right. It's finally of us to want that to be yeah, true. And, and this, but, but I, I want to go back. This, this is what, what John was saying about being a buzzkill. We're not trying to be buzzkills, okay? No, speak for yourself. Aliens yeah. may exist. Aliens may exist. Absolutely. We're not okay. saying they don't. Yeah. We're yeah, saying I mean, well, we, we do. Don't we just haven't found them. No. Yeah. And it is also just a quick, quick, quick tangent. 
Nobody is saying if you have genuinely held spiritual beliefs that you have to abandon them in order to be a skeptic or a critical thinker. I'm not an atheist. I'm a spiritual person. Um, not everybody on this stage is. That's fine. The two are not mutually exclusive. So I just want to stress that. Um, Don't feel like, oh my God, I would have to not go to church anymore <laughs> if I was a skeptic. No, you they, can do both. Thank you for saying that because yeah. I didn't yeah, mean yeah. to imply otherwise. I Absolutely, yeah. That clarification. Uh, I do want to kind of bring it back to some current event topical stuff. We mentioned, well, you mentioned NASA and shouting from the rooftops if we had proof of extraterrestrial. A absolutely. Uh, I want to table that just for a second because I think that is a very important and very topical thing to get into. But we also talked about medicine a little bit. And that, of course, is an arena that is so full of science versus pseudoscience, conspiratorial thinking, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, we just came out of, I mean, it's not gone, but we came through the worst of a global pandemic. And I think one of the, um, one of the great stories to be told a generation or two from now about that is how, well, the science didn't necessarily get it wrong, but the science had to keep changing and adapting due to the changing conditions around that particular virus. And we buckled down and put the time and investment and the resources into an extraordinarily uh, accelerated vaccine program. That, I 100% um, agree with, especially the latter one, too. I'm amazed yeah. at how fast we got a really, really effective vaccine. I, I think that, that is the legacy of this story to be told. And what we also found out very quickly through that was there were a lot of claims being made yeah. about other treatments that yeah. simply didn't work or didn't work well enough to be effective to a global audience. Um, let's talk about getting to that Star Trek future because this is something very personal to me. Um, my father very recently passed away. Uh, he, he did not die from prostate cancer, but that is something that he had been treated for in years previous. Um, the treatments for that are varied between chemotherapy and prostatectomy, uh, radiation therapy, et cetera. Uh, coming out of the pandemic, coming out of the research into mRNA vaccines, I am absolutely amazed that now that is a technology being used to customize treatments for people who have prostate cancer and other cancers as well. Because when we say cancer, one word, we're actually talking about a broad spectrum of multiple diseases. It's like fever. There's like yeah, well, exactly. Different. Yeah, it can mean so much. But literally using the same technology uh, through an mRNA vaccine that tells our bodies to go find this one protein on a coronavirus uh, uh, virus, we can do the same thing and say, look, here's the difference between the proteins that show up on a cancerous cell versus the cells in a healthy body, go fight it out. And they are still experimental, but they are very effective. And I feel like 10, 20 years from now, that will be the gold standard treatment for exactly that kind of thing. That, in my mind, is what gets us toward that Star Trek future where, okay, instead of worrying about the side effects of chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Oh, no, no, no. It'll be like Dr. McCoy giving a pill to grow somebody a new kidney. It'll be like, here, we're going to take a sample from you. We're going to manufacture the customized drug to treat you and your particular cancer here, and you're done. 
that I, I, I can't wait until we get past the nonsense of medical pseudoscience and can focus on those absolutely amazing futuristic science fiction sounding technologies that will allow us to save lives. Have you seen, uh, you know, one of the things that happened when the COVID vaccine started, um, there was this whole, well, they're, they're, cre they're incredibly dangerous. You know, they're, they're very, very dangerous, so, so don't, don't take them. Uh, it, recently, um, they did find that certain, I think, Johnson Johnson vaccines actually were. Um, and well, I, kind of, kind of. Yeah. So I have seen people say, there you go, there you go. We were right. That, again, science is ever-changing. My, my question is that the incidence of problems for that was on the order of like 1 in 500,000. We're so small. Right, literally, literally 1 in 500,000. It's, it's like, the okay. confirmation bias. It's the cherry-picking. That one thing, look, that proves all of what I was saying. And that's a huge, I think that that confirmation bias thing is a major, major problem in yeah. pseudoscience. Big thing contributing to that, too, is when we look at the fact that the media, the news media, the way it, it publishes information right. about science and medicine in particular, is so, so problematic with exacerbating exactly. this one tiny thing. Or even, you know, as you know, with studies, they'll show, you know, uh, a, a molecule from a plant that can be used to reduce inflammation in certain types of diseases. And they will take that information and turn it into, oh, this plant can cure cancer. And you're like, no, that's not, that's <laughs> not even what the study was doing. Yeah. But that's what happens. And then you have these, these wild claims out there and everybody wants this sort of black and white, like this is safe, this isn't. Yeah. And as they say in chemistry and medicine, the, the poison is in the, the dosage, the amount of it and what's being done with it. So all that nuance combined never really makes it to the front of the headline, only the big tagline. Right. This right. vaccine funny, is now bad. Hearing you say that, uh, my dad initiated the uh, hyperbaric medicine department in really in the southeast, but at his uh, hospital. And that was something that you kind of had to teach people that oxygen is poisonous. Oxygen right. will kill you, <laughs> but in the right doses for the right treatments, this oxygen therapy under high pressure is amazing. And yet there is still a risk involved because of dosage. Yes, water is poisonous in too high a dose. Yeah. I, I had a friend who was uh, a vaccine skeptic, and he actually wrote to me, and he sent me all these links about, like, I heard that, you know, a whole bunch of pilots took the vaccine early, and they all died. I was like, what? So I, I, it was interesting. So I had a, a back and forth with him. I challenged him. I said, okay, uh, you probably know a couple hundred people. I bet at least half of them have had the vaccine. How many of those people have passed away? <laughs> you know? And then I said, okay, and, and let's look at COVID. How many of the people you know have had COVID? How many of them had some sort of symptoms from that? And I was trying to basically challenge him to essentially apply the scientific process to these things. He still never came all the way over, but it was, at least he started thinking like, well, okay, maybe, maybe that one specific thing was wrong, but I and still think there's a problem. You also have, you know. Because he wants to. Because he wants to believe. He wants to believe. Yeah, believe but you've got, you know, if you have everyone in this room, if we were to give everyone in this room a perfectly organic apple, someone's going to have an adverse reaction, huh. right? Huh. Like, an allergic reaction, who knows? Like, maybe a reaction's not even related. A reaction yeah. that has nothing yeah. to do with it whatsoever. So when we look at the fact that in clinical trials and in testing these things in the community, there's, yeah, of course, somebody's going to have an adverse reaction. So that doesn't mean, though, that this entire uh, cure is, is, is not worth anything. You know, it's, right, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I want to throw out something complicated because you brought up your friend who is a vaccine skeptic. Okay. I think of myself as a skeptic yeah. with certain claims. 
If somebody comes to me and says, well, that, you know, the reason the roof fell in in your uh, bedroom is not because of the rain. It's because of the ghosts of leprechauns who have invaded your crawl space and have pushed the roof down. Okay. You've got them too? I, I do, I do, yeah, they're awful. Uh, I would be skeptical of that claim, all right? Um, I am less skeptical of the idea that the rain actually just made its way through and yeah, made that deteriorate and fall through. It actually happened twice, sucked. Um, but, uh, so how do I, how do we tell the dif difference in being skeptical about claims versus putting that skepticism into overdrive when something like a groundbreaking vaccine technology. That billions of people have taken safe. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. This is the problem of do your own research. Uh, right? uh -huh. Where are you getting your information? Okay. Is this source reliable? And again, I think it comes all, all the way down to being honest with yourself. Everyone has the ability to think critically and think logically. They may not have been taught that. Um, they may be reacting on an emotional level. And again, if you are honest with yourself and you try, if you believe something and you try to prove it wrong, you can't mm -hmm. do that mm -hmm. and go ahead and keep believing it. Yeah. And maybe even, you know, in the case of your friend, if you have an idea in your head that something is inherently not correct and you go out and you're, you're finding evidence just to validate that claim, are you really a skeptic or are you, are you a denialist? Like right. that might, there might be a nuanced difference between the two because I'd say someone who's a true vaccine skeptic is going to look at the data, right. the overwhelming data showing the safety of the vaccine as well as you know, data showing that there might be some adverse reactions, but it sounds like that's not what this person did. Right. Yeah. So. One of the challenges is, is that for a lot of people, they just don't know what a good source is. So I go, just go to Google. I'm like, okay, Google's just pulling up whatever YouTube. you put in there. Or you, oh my God, YouTube's terrible. TikTok. <laughs> but I mean, it's, so like, as, as, I mean, I'm personally a scientist. I, if I were to do this for, say, the vaccine, I would go to PubMed. PubMed is, is uh, sponsored by the National Institutes of Health. It is a database of just refereed scientific journals. And even that, I always have some skepticism based on what comes up. But, you know, I, I, because I'm in the field, I know which journals are especially It's all deep stuff, man. But this is that's the challenge. That's exactly the challenge. A, right. a typical person doesn't know where to go. Exactly. And B, a typical person doesn't know which journals to trust. There are predatory journals, exactly. even amongst the the publishers like Springer and Elsevier, these are some of the major scientific publishers, they have junk science journals that under those names. Yep. So like, if I'm trying to research something in another field that's not mine, it's I know that I'm coming from a place of naivete and I don't know what's correct and what's not. So I, I mean, that's kind of a failing of scientific uh, communication. That's why we need more science writers in journalism. A lot of people, and there's good and there's bad ones, but a, a good science writer won't write the story that this plant is gonna cure cancer. They'll talk to the scientists, they'll talk to another scientist at another institution who might disagree with that, and they'll just publish what they learned, not sensationalize it. So yeah, we, we need that, that gap. And I think it's a fair point for someone to say, this is so overwhelming. I, I don't, I'm not a scientist. How do I know what's what? I don't know how, to, like, I don't have the skill set. And that's where we, we do come to a point of trust and expertise. And, and that's, that's okay, that, like, like, that's where we need to be, but who are the experts and how do you know to trust them? Like that, well, so we're opening up a whole other... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, being a skeptic does, uh, just kind of circling yeah, back around yeah, what you're yeah. saying, being a skeptic doesn't mean 
not believing something. Yeah. Being a skeptic means approaching a claim with a tabula rasa, a blank, a blank mind. I don't know whether this is true or not. That's literally what the Greek word means. Yeah. So it's an agnostic position. It's remaining in the inquiry. Yeah. So if, like you said, if you were a genuine skeptic about a certain claim, you will do all of the research in that, not not by watching YouTube videos, but like, like what you said, trusted sources, reliable sources, things like that, and determine whether or not that is verified, falsified, whatever. Well, so, I want to throw this back at Meredith because you are an educator, and I would like to know what are the skills or techniques or tips that you try to impart to young people who need to be able to tell the difference between uh, a... a claim or a report or a study that is trustworthy, that is verifiable, as opposed to information they're getting elsewhere that may not be, because we are so overwhelmed with information. Yes, and I think the, the generation that I'm currently teaching, I teach high schoolers, I've been teaching them for 18 years, and they have grown up in a, you know information overload. So they, they have a better sense of sort of sorting these things than maybe even some older um, older people do. And so our, what we do is basically, it's information literacy. It's how do, you, how do you know what to look for? What are trusted sources? How can you tell a trusted source? Like, I, I mean, like you said, I could even find a journal article that's maybe some junk journal. What, what are the red flags? Like what sends off a little alarm in my head that's like, I don't know about this is a little bit. So it's just teaching them how to recognize those things. And then also um, in the classroom, and this is tough because they're sort of trained um, through education in general that like, you know, oh, I'm doing a lab, so I, I expect this to happen. This is what, this is what getting it right means, right, yeah. teacher? Like, do I get it right? And I'm always like, no, uh, don't try to get it anything. Just blank slate. Do, do the process. Take the observations. And they're like, yeah, but did I do it right? And I'm like, you're seeking truth. You're seeking correctness. truth. Exactly. Thank you. That's yes. it. And so they, it's, it's, it's peeling them away from seeking correctness a little bit to, to see, seeking truth and to just being open and honest about what they're observing. And then um, I typically, at least in my classes, we, we spend more time after the labs than anything on, you know, what were sources of error? What are some ways, if you had to redesign this, what would you do? And, they t and I want them to take that very seriously, that idea of redesign. In the scientific community, that's what we do. Um, so it's, I have actually more hope for the future, for a, a Roddenberry-esque future, um, spending time with, with young people than with anything, anyone else. They're great. So one thing you tend to see with trusted sources, they also put some sort of measure of reliability. They say, like, you know, the evidence indicates this, however, here are these alternatives. I was just thinking, actually, there's an interesting analogy with all the science stuff with actually with Star Trek news that, like, we all know there's some sites out there that are very reliable. You can go to trekmovie.com and you're going to get very insightful. Never heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's very insightful, very clear, and I'll say what the problems are. Or you can go to things like We Got This Covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, Star Trek Four, yeah, the fourth yeah. new movie has probably come out like eight times now. Right. And <laughs> yeah, Cybok is gay. Breaking. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right, well, let's come back to the other topic that came up. We're sitting next to somebody who works with NASA. Uh, and James, you, you brought up something about wanting to believe in extraterrestrial life. Um, and I, I, I will repeat my own words that I think I've shared in our podcast before, which is that I want to believe because I feel like even if the only thing we confirmed in my lifetime, I think my exact words were, 
an ugly bacterium on the ass end of an ugly asteroid somewhere. Oh, I can't wait for that. Right? So right. exciting. Right, yeah. Like, even if that's the only thing that shows up in my lifetime, it fundamentally changes our understanding of the universe and our place in it. I think that would be a very profound moment that, that absolutely reshapes humanity. Now, very different thing from a Vulcan ship landing in Bozeman, yeah. Montana. You know, obviously a very different thing. But that said, I'm totally going to be in Bozeman, Montana good. on that day. Oh, that we day. all, we yeah. all are. That's going to act right now. 2068. 2068? 2063. All right, book your flights now, you know. Um, but this is that the place thing. is going to be descended on by Trekkies. It will. Like, <laughs> it will, it will be really will. And the locals are going to be like, what well, right. is happening? <laughs> Uh, well, we only have that long to get our statue of Brandon Braga up. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's where he's from. Sort of, you don't yeah, know. That's, why, that's why it was set the there. Future. Yeah. Uh, but, but this is the thing. and it, uh, We all are here because we are fans of science fiction. Uh, I certainly talk about Star Trek ad infinitum uh, for hours and hours a week. And I appreciate the fantasy of that storytelling because, as we always say on Mission Log, the aliens are us. It, it's not about, in the context of storytelling... It's the, a the, metaphor. It's a metaphor, right, right. The, the aliens are us. They are various aspects of ourselves Starship holding Earth. humanity up to a mirror. Okay, but, but, in reality, there are programs like SETI looking for signs of extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, there are well-meaning, well-intended people in various government and non-governmental agencies looking for evidence of this. And I think here's where we come back to this very difficult word, evidence, that we get very confused about what evidence actually is as opposed to claims. So go, I'm leaving. No. <laughs> I mean, we've seen this go in cycles, too. Like if you yeah. go back to the uh, 1997 or so, there was that supposed evidence of a microbe and a Martian yeah. meteorite that crashed oh, right. out. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, this was yeah. now this wasn't yeah, even in yeah this wasn't even in pseudoscience. This was actually in science where they saw these little uh, I forget what they called them these little like holes that looked like something a microbe could make, yeah. and they interpreted it that way like this could be an, and, and of course everybody everything blew up like oh my god yeah. they found aliens Bill from Mars. Bill Clinton made an announcement about it, and they used the recording of Bill Clinton making that contact. announcement in contact. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I mean, and that, that was well meaning, but it, then it was very quickly disproven. Well, I, I wouldn't say disproven. It was there were alternate explanations were shown which could fully explain the phenomena. More recently, we had right. the phosphine gas on yeah. Venus, yeah. right, where here's this gas, this is something that's known to be produced by life, it's found in a, a Venusian atmosphere, oh my gosh, so maybe there's microbes in a Venusian atmosphere, but then again, later, some other scientists looked and said, well, here's some other inorganic possible or non-life-based sources that could have produced these sort, same sorts of things. That's the beauty of science, is it is self-correcting. Sometimes it'll, it'll take a leap and say, well, our best guess from this limited amount of data is it could be this extraordinary thing, but then it's self-correcting because other people look into it and they're like, eh, but here's a whole bunch of other explanations that actually probably make more sense. And here's so, the problem, though, is how often have you seen a news headline that says, just kidding, we were wrong? That's, yeah, uh, yeah. There was yeah, no yeah. correction well, that's yeah. when it came Exciting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's not sensational. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, here's a, an interesting question related to this. So, so, yeah, aliens are very predominant in science fiction. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting story. Another and, thing that's, and in congressional hearings. And, and in congressional, yeah. uh -huh. Another thing that's very, that, that, that we're seeing a lot of in science fiction that's really kind of taken hold is, Multiple realities, parallel worlds, parallel universes. This is based on Hugh Everett, who came up with a model of quantum mechanics called Many Worlds. 
um, back in the early 20th century. Is it possible that it's true? It is possible. It has certainly not been verified. There is no evidence for it. Most physicists don't accept the many worlds model of quantum mechanics. It's possible. But it has taken a foothold in science fiction and storytelling. And if you ask most people, Marvel, the MCU, all that stuff, Doctor Strange, oh, is this real science? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely real science. There's, we know that for a fact. There's tons of me's out there in alternate realities. It's so, so, so conducive to like expanding a it's franchise. Great story. It's right. great for fiction. And this is my question. It's great for fiction. So for those of us who are storytellers here, director, writer, Dr. Noor was served as a science consultant on a show that we're not celebrating at this convention. Um, uh, like for those of us who are who work in that industry, do we have a responsibility? What is our responsibility to the public if we're telling a story that has something in there that is not really that valid of a claim? Like, how do you approach? Like, like okay, so like the the writers of Star Trek. Um, come to you and say, all right, we're, this is what we're going to do. And you say, well, that's not right. That's not well, it. So, but yeah. the science has to serve the story, ultimately. You hit the nail on the head there. Right. Plot will always trump science. Yeah. I mean, we don't watch, I mean, we, we would watch National Geographic rather than Star Trek if, the, if we wanted just straight right. up science. So, right. But, I mean, the good news is that the writers for whatever franchise we're talking about, <laughs> are very, very Is that the keen. one with the thrall? The thrall, yeah, the thrall. The, the, the thrall universe. The thrall. Yeah. They're very, they're very keen on having... Shout out to the thrall. They're very keen on having the science as good as possible because they know how many people are inspired to go into yeah. science, technology, engineering, and medicine from seeing representations on the screen. And they were just excited about it, science too, in general, because yeah. I mean, they're they're also nerds like us. I mean, yeah. they, they would happily yeah. sit in this panel too if they were here. Yeah. So and right. getting viewers to ask the questions, to question it, and say, "Oh, is this real?" and yeah. start trying to find out. Like that's yeah. there's a positive there, even if it's Absolutely. a wild stretch yeah. from reality. Right. It's, it's right. getting people to talk and think and ask questions. Totally. So they're happy to have as much of it as possible be exactly right, and then the pieces which have to serve plot. Okay, we'll just. I mean, the best thing I, I like Dr. Aaron McDonald, who's the science advisor for the whole Star Trek franchise. Yeah. What she says is. Is if, if you can't explain it, just don't. Yeah. Just yeah. like, whatever, and, and, there's this thing. Yeah, yeah, there's an interesting story. Uh, uh, Dr. Kevin Grazier, who was the science advisor on Gravity, the film Gravity, the Sandra Bullock, George Clooney film, there's an infamous scene in that film where he's on a tether, and all she has to do is pull, and he would come back. And he's like, oh, no, I'm caught in the Earth's gravitational field. I'm going to flew and it was, and, and Dr. Grazier said, this isn't right. And the director said, sorry, this serves the story. We have to do it. I think of in The Martian, too, which I loved, but that scene where, where these, they're orbiting each other and pulling him in, and I'm just like, there's no chance. Or the tornado when there's basically almost no atmosphere. No there. atmosphere, <laughs> right. Unfortunately, I love The Martian. Fantastic book, quick read if you haven't read it uh, and see the movie. And a lot of it is correct. Yeah, my husband is a Mars scientist. He's over there. And, um, there he is. He, I, I do this, to show you how much of a Mars scientist he is, I do this party trick with him. If there's a map of Mars somewhere... And I, I get my friends, I gather them up, and I say, all right, point to anywhere on that map. And he'll point in the map, they'll point in the map, and he'll be like, okay, so that is uh, such and such planetium. Um, there are typically winds there um, in the spring of Mars, and he'll go on and on about oh, it. But the great part is they don't know, so he makes it up. Well, But the Martian gets all that stuff right. He, yeah. he, he was saying, oh, these maps are correct, these locations are correct, the way this works. But, I think except for the sediment size, this, wasn't it? Well, the setup of the entire film is that he gets injured by, right. um, it's a pole or something that goes through his suit because there's a windstorm. And there are heavy winds on Mars, but there's like one one-hundredth of the atmosphere of Earth. So it, w it wouldn't be able to pick up that thing in the first place. Right. 
So yeah, unfortunately, think, the entire yeah, rest of the plot go. falls there apart. Okay. There is no book without I think that. Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think, was t was touching on that, and the fact that you see these big also chunks of kill. stuff. Yeah. Such yeah. a buzzkill. Such a buzzkill. But he's such yeah. a happy buzzkill. Yeah. Like he is so he's ecstatic to to kill your buzz, and I applaud him for it. But, but honestly, that's something that I really appreciate as a consumer of pop culture: enjoying a story, enjoying a fantasy, and then learning something additional. This may not have been right. But that doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the thing. Uh, I appreciate that uh, Tyson contacted, well, I, I, I don't know if he contacted him, but he posted something about the stars in Titanic being wrong. You know, but, but leave it to James Cameron to say, you know what, I'll correct it for the next release. And he did change the, scar the starscape around the ship. I That's that power was, there, when you can right, change right, the right. stars. But I thought that was really cool. If it only mattered to Neil deGrasse Tyson, he got his wish. You know? Cameron likes a challenge more than anything. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I want to go back to something that you brought up, James, so this idea of the multiverse and that becoming an explanation suddenly for various phenomena. Uh, th that goes back to what Kayla was describing earlier. This is an unfalsifiable claim. We can't even investigate that claim because it is impossible to do so. So when we start applying that as an answer to the problem or the question of the day, like, have we been visited by extraterrestrial? Well, maybe they're not extraterrestrial. Maybe they're from another dimension. Well, we just created another answer that is also unverifiable and untestable. So... We, oh, uh, go I just ahead. want to say, but I think that there's a there's a point in which we get to questions that are untestable that we have to ask as humans. The big one is what is the meaning of life, right? That's an untestable question. Everybody knows it's forty. And you might believe yeah. there is no meaning. You might believe it is in raising your kids or bettering the earth or making it worse. I don't know. Whatever you believe in, but it's not a scientific question. But I just for me, it's like we should still ask those questions. That's philosophy. That's not science. But it's human nature. You know, being human is something that we just discover that we are. It's not a question we even have to ask. But part of being human is asking that question. So there's, there's, there's good angles of that non-falsifiable stuff, too, just because there are non-falsifiable questions. Right. The skeptical mindset is naturally a, an inquiring mindset. That's for you, Kayla. And there is something, again, going back to the buzzkill thing, there is something thrilling about remaining in the inquiry about a question. It's not a buzzkill, yeah, guys. Being able to say, I don't know or I can't yeah, answer it. Right. You don't need to fill right. it with something. It's you don't bad. need to no, fill it with an explanation that's not, you know, testable just because you 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 are uncomfortable with the unknown. Well, I think that's, where, that's where I find yeah. that I lose track with a lot of claims because if the claim is, okay, something bumped in my stateroom on the Queen Mary, therefore it is a ghost. Okay, the the logic of saying I don't know what the thing is, therefore I know what the thing is, or. The current studies, the, the uh, congressional hearings about UFOs slash UAPs, as we're supposed to call them now, I don't know what they are, and I don't have the evidence to present to you, but because I don't know what it is, I now know what it is. And I'm making a claim about, well, a multi, what was it, a multi-dimensional alternate? Yeah, there, there, that's uh, what some of the suggestions are. Yeah, okay, yeah. And, that's, and that's exactly the point, is that there are multiple suggestions 
about things then that are untestable. I don't, I don't know is an okay answer exactly. if you don't know. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Oh my that's god, I don't know. Yeah. If I was living in a world where I don't know everything, it's that's, amazing. That's where right. sci-fi yeah. comes in. That's where right. you make a movie about the ghost in the Queen Mary, and that's fun. Oh, dear god, it looks so bad. You keep and you and you also keep looking. No matter, like that's, right. and maybe that's, you know, when you say something's untestable or I don't know, you know, a non-scientist might say, aha, you know, it's, right. it's like that uh, Jim Carrey and uh, Dumb and Dumber. He's like, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. You're like, right. no, I'm saying there's no evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Or, aha, I caught you. You don't know everything. And you're like, I never said yeah, I did, yeah, homie. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. Queen, the Queen Mary example is a really good one in the sense that it, by implication, if you say, like, aha, it's a ghost, you're saying there's no other possible credible explanation, right? Right. And, like, clearly that's not true. Right, like, right. You know, or you're, you're uh, things in the sky. There is no other possible credible uh, 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 explanation for this other than an interdimensional being and a craft that is beyond our understanding, et cetera. Right. I mean, well, and once there are so many layers of beyond what we understand, saying that I understand it is irrational. Yeah. Uh, it just occurred to me that um, the line from Superman is a wonderful example of how to be skeptical. Because there's a man flying through the air, right? Uh -huh. And what do the first two guys say? It's a bird. <laughs> it's, it's a plane. A plane. Yeah. It's Superman. They took right. them three things to get to what it actually was because right. what a fantastical thing. These are the two most logical These things. These are the two yeah. first logical things. So they know we, we, it's definitely not a bird, it's definitely a plane. All right, dude flying I'm across totally the stealing travel. that. That's great. Yeah, that's I got yeah. to say on extraterrestrials, students ask me all the time, like it's their favorite question, is like, are there really aliens? And I'm like, you know, there's always a few that are like, oh, there are, they're covering it up. And it's usually the same kids that say like the government's incompetent. And I'm like, well... If they're that incompetent, how well are they covering up something this big? But it's all over the dark web. We saw all over the dark web. web. And then yeah. I tell them, I'm like, you guys, we have radio telescopes. We can detect, you know, if a star farts that's like <laughs> thousands of light years away, we can see it. Yeah. Like, and you think there's like just aliens coming and going and nobody, nobody knows except for a few members of the American government? Well, and that's the thing about the, you know, reminds me of the claims that we never went to the moon, that NASA never went to the moon and it was a set or what have you. Um, if, it's like, it's like, you can go through all the evidence to explain why we very most likely did go to the moon and that that's a very outlandish claim. But all you have to really think about is being able to keep the secret. You know what people, even if it was a movie, you know what people would have had to be involved in that movie? And there's um, some there's some statistic, I don't remember what it is, but once the number of people that know a secret grows, the like ac you exponentially decline in the uh, in the probability that that secret will be kept. Oh, it's by like orders of magnitude every time you add, add a, a person. person. Yeah. yeah. There was literally a movie about this, Capricorn One, where they fake yes. a Mars landing, yes. and yes. they yes. cannot yes. keep it a secret. No. The entire thing is how hard they're trying to keep it a secret, and they just can't do it. And you look at, like, okay, all these, there's, you know, claims, there's all these alien bodies in Roswell, New Mexico, or wherever whatever, in the 50s and 60s. Well, you know, people who would have been around then are like, you know, they're passing away now. Like, so none of them are like on their deathbed, like, it's all real. Like, not a single one. Not a single one. Right, right. Well, and I think the unfortunate part about that then is it takes away from the real accomplishments of the hundreds of thousands totally. of people yes. who worked on the Apollo program. I mean, we're t uh, uh, a very small claim to fame here. Uh, my aunt was an engineer at Grumman. She was the only woman on her team yeah. who worked on the lunar module. Her signature is on the moon That's because amazing. she worked on that device, right? Okay, but multiply her 
by hundreds of thousands of people who worked on that. And for somebody to come along 60 years later and say, oh, no, it didn't happen. Wait, I, 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 it, it's such a huge slap in the face to the real achievement. This is a Roddenberry Podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.